1: It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you. And I don't know what's more disappointing at this point, the fact that the Bears lost on Sunday Night Football to the Green Bay Packers or the fact that Matt Nagy kept his job on Monday. I know there was a little bit of a buzz. There was some hope that maybe if things went south on Sunday Night Football, the Bears might make a move, but clearly not the case. Matt Nagy is still in charge I certainly don't think they are going to do this prior to, uh, I'm sorry, after following Monday Night Football on a short week. If they didn't do it against the Packers, I don't think they're going to do it against the Vikings, which means the earliest we're going to see that is with the two games to go in the season. And I think more and more likely that Matt Nagy does finish the season as the Chicago Bears head coach a little little frustrating just because and even as someone like myself who supported Nagy a lot over the last several years we know where we're at this year it didn't cut it didn't they, the pieces didn't fit we knew in January they weren't going to fit you just crossed your fingers and hope that maybe somehow they did obviously that was not the case this Bears season is falling apart in front of our eyes not really as surprising that it's happened but nevertheless you just want to see some indication from from the front office, from George McCaskey, that they are in fact moving on so we can start looking forward to next season. But at this point here, we just remain in this holding pattern. Guest to, uh, guest on this podcast is Robert Schmitz, Windy City Gridiron's own. Haven't had a chance to talk to Robert yet this season. Excited that he's uh, willing to jump on here and, and chat about this team. You know, I guess we'll talk a little bit of Packers with him, but for the most part, I want to look at the future of this team, not just the head coach, not just the front office, but let's look at this roster. Like when we go into 2022 and beyond, what is the situation with this roster? Where is this roster? And, and, you know, I'll take a couple minutes here just to talk about the roster because, you know, right now on Windy City Gridiron, there's the Magnificent Seven. It's a great group piece, kind of talking about who are the building blocks of this team. And there's, there's, there's a countdown going on. I believe we're sitting here at number six or number five right now at the time of the publication of this podcast. So plenty more to go. It'll be fun to see exactly how that how that breaks down. But here's the issue that I had with that that exercise. I had a hard time coming up with seven people. I had a hard time coming up with seven people on this roster that I want to make sure are on this roster for five, six, seven, ten years. There's just not that many, and, and that's a problem. So I'll, I'll I'll take a few minutes here. I'll give you my opinions on this roster. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. I'm not going to spend any time on Justin Fields. You know I'm a believer in Justin Fields. I I love his big playability, not just with his legs, but with his arm, he's got unique arm talent. You know, PFF, he's he's excellent with the big time throws, which is, is a great thing to see. So where is Justin Fields as a rookie? He's inconsistent, he's still struggling at times. There's a lot going against him. He's got a spotty offensive line, he doesn't have a lot of weapons offensively to work with. We've talked about how Nagy hasn't schemed him a lot in terms of what we want to see he's not helping the offensive line with schemes we're not seeing a lot of added protection there, there we can go through the whole list of, of things that are going against Justin Fields right now but still a lot of positives with Fields so Fields is, is one of those building blocks absolutely I'd be shocked if he wasn't number one on that list but looking at the rest of the offense here let's let's take a look at this offensive line this offensive line is questionable you know moving forward and it, it's it's tough to figure out Sam Mustafer not a part of this team moving forward. There's no chance, especially if we get a new GM in here with a fresh pair of eyes, there's no chance Sam Mustafer is a part of this this line moving forward. I'd like to see them keep James Daniels. I think James Daniels is a solid player. You know, I think James Daniels is good. He's not great, but he is definitely worth a roster spot. I don't know what he's gonna gain in free agency. I saw Brad Spielberger of PFF. I think he had him predicted about ten million a season. That's a little steep. But if he can come in around seven, I, I would absolutely keep keep James Daniels around around seven. You know, Cody Whitehair, Cody Whitehair is having an awful season, but I do think Cody Whitehair, if Cody Whitehair was the fourth or fifth offensive lineman and you had more talent around him, I always think Cody Whitehair does better when he's he's a cog. Whitehair's not a guy who can lift an offensive line, but Cody Whitehair fits very well in terms of a good offensive line and does things well. Like when when the offensive line is going well, usually Cody Whitehair is going well. When the offensive line is struggling, he's struggling. He's not a guy that's overcoming the unit. So Whitehair is is, is an interesting piece. It's gonna be curious to see what happens with him. But if you're building a team, if you say bring in someone like Ryan Jensen at center and you've got Whitehair and Daniels around him, that, that has the potential, I think, to be a very solid interior offensive line. Then you got the bookends, you got the tackles. What do we have with Larry Borum and Tevin Jenkins? You got to throw out Tevin Jenkins' performance on Sunday Night Football completely out the window. He was thrown into an impossible situation. This is a guy, you know, look, we don't know where his back is, but even if his back is completely healthy at this point, this is a guy who hasn't played a competitive game of football in over a year. You know, he did not finish the season at, at, at Oklahoma State. So keep that in mind. It's been over a year. He did not have training camp. He did not have preseason, and a big difference. And Patrick Manley brought this up on the podcast when I had him on. There's only one day of hitting per week. There's only one day of pads. So he is not really going to get in the flow of football at all in in practice. So throw him in the game like that is tough. So it's going to be tough to evaluate Tevin Jenkins this year. It was not a good performance against the Packers, but we'll see what happens if he continues to play, and the Bears have a lot of COVID issues and some stuff going on right now, so we don't know exactly what the offensive line is going to look like against Minnesota at this point, but Tevin Jenkins' potential at one of the tackle spots. Larry Borum has looked pretty good. He's looked outstanding for a fifth-round pick, but Larry Borum is still having issues as well. There's some issues with, you know, sometimes I think he still looks clunky. Sometimes I have issues with his hand placement. So Larry Larry Borum is also a guy... So what you've got here is you've got a lot of questions, and if the questions are answered in the positive, if Borum and Jenkins make it and the Bears bring in a, a solid center and you re-sign James Daniels, you suddenly have a really good offensive line. But if Tevin Jenkins... if what we saw against the Packers wasn't rust and was a, just a struggling rookie who's not gonna get better. If Larry Borum doesn't improve much from where he is, if Cody Whitehair continues to be the dumpster fire that he's been this year, then the offensive line is a mess and you're practically starting over. So there, there's a lot of questions there. There are potential building blocks within that offensive line, but it's questionable right now. You can't sit there. You don't have the sure fire. this is a guy you can build your offensive line around. He's just not on the roster. But you do have the potential to have a lot of good pieces which would turn the offensive line into a very good offensive line. But it's not there right now, obviously. When you look at the skill positions, Darnell Mooney, I think it's pretty clear he's slotting himself very into a very solid wide receiver, too. He's not an ace. He's not going to be that that big guy. And the one thing he's not is, and, and this is something the Bears don't have really at all, the Bears don't have a lot of red zone targets. They don't have that big body athletic guy that can get a little separation, win a jump ball, you know. Jimmy Graham can do that, Allen Robinson can do that, you have to figure both those guys not on the roster next season. So the Bears need to find those type of players that can do that because they're not on the roster right now and that's going to be a big hole for them. But Darnell Mooney, that's a guy, absolutely. He stays on this roster. The rest of the wide receivers can go. They're either one-year guys or they're guys that have checked out. I'm not going to spend the whole podcast bashing Allen Robinson, but you can't watch him. And it's disappointing to see that he is not finishing his career professionally. He signed a one-year contract. He didn't want to, but he chose to. That was what was offered. He chose to sign it. He, he could have held out. He could have done other things to try and you know change his situation. He didn't do it. He signed the contract. He committed to the Bears this year, and he hasn't committed to the Bears. That's frustrating. Allen Robinson's gone. So Darnell Mooney's the only receiver. Tight end position, Cole Komet. You know, I've looked at Cole Komet a lot the last few games, especially with Andy Dalton out there, and I wasn't didn't have Justin Fields to focus on. Cole Komet's just okay. And I I, I know he tight ends are slow to develop, but the issue here with Cole Komet is I don't see what he's not doing, but what he's capable of, where I can see a lot of upward growth. I do think he's going to continue to get a little better. His blocking has been up and down this season. He's had moments where it looks like he's doing it. He has moments where he really struggles and he's missing guys. So, But I think he can get a little more consistent there. He's got the big body to do it. I do think the blocking is going to improve and get to a pretty consistent, solid level. I do have hope that that's going to happen. You know, catching the football, you know, he's, he's, he's got decent hands overall, but the bottom line with Cole Komet here, guys, is he's not getting separation, like pretty much ever. You know, if he can slide out into finding some space in, in the zone or whatever, he can do that and he can catch footballs. But in terms of getting separation, he is not getting separation. He is an easy guy to cover right now, which is leaving Justin Fields in a difficult spot to not have that nice tight end safety net that a lot of rookie quarterbacks like to utilize. Cole Komet, I, I also don't see the athleticism there to be that red zone threat. He's a big body, but I don't see I, I just don't see him going up and, and winning a jump ball like Jimmy Graham can do. He's not that type of player. So Cole Komet, can he stay on the roster? If they've got enough other talent on offense, is he fine at tight end? He could potentially be fine at tight end. I think he's going to settle in to be a top 32 tight end in the league, which means he's capable of starting. But I don't think he's going to be ever better than top 15, 16, 17 in the league, which means he's average at best. And right now, when, when we're looking at this Bears roster moving forward, we want to look at what are the building blocks? And and w- when you look at the Bears roster from Emery to Pace. And say whatever you will about Ryan Pace, but the roster he inherited was bad. And the key players he had on offense, the Brandon Marshalls, Martellus Bennett, the, the, Matt Forte, those type of guys, those type of guys, were they were on the wrong ends of their career. Matt Forte left and was never very good with the Jets. Brandon Marshall had one good season with the Jets and then that was it. It looks like they got rid of Marshall one season too early. Martellus Bennett had a couple decent spots. Martellus Bennett, if you remember, was a pain in the neck. Wanted an extension. Pace had just gotten there, was holding out, was being difficult in training camp and, and, and mini camps and everything. Martellus Bennett was really difficult for the first part of the you know, the Ryan Pace's tenure. So they didn't have the offensive pieces. The defense was a dumpster fire which led the Bears, which led to Ryan Pace to only keeping five people, and two of them, O'Donnell and McManus, were special teams guys. He kept one guy on the defense, Kyle Fuller, built up a whole brand new defense, and two guys on the offense, offensive line, Long and Leno. That's it everything else pace had to start over and bring in again and i really think that this next gm isn't going to be that far off i think he'll have more than 5 pieces to keep than what phil emery left him but i don't think ryan pace is going to leave him with much more at this point i really really don't david montgomery is an excellent running back do you want to commit 13 14 15 million a year to david montgomery you got to commit money to roquan smith right you got to keep your your own first round pick the hot shot you know an, an elite inside linebacker at this point but what are you doing with David Montgomery? He's gonna, you know, you have, you'd you have to extend him this year or you gotta flirt with, you know, having him, trying to sign him before free agency the year after that. Tough spot to be with David Montgomery, especially with Khalil Herbert, looking pretty decent on, on, on as a running back, as a rookie. So I don't know what this next GM is gonna do with this offensive side of the ball, but other than Justin Fields and maybe Mooney, there's not a lot of pieces offensively that you can sit there and say 100%, this person is gonna be able to contribute moving forward. On the defensive side of the ball, Khalil Mack, the injuries are mounting up, but I do think Mack is is still a a threat and a, a dangerous player, and the Bears should absolutely keep around for at least a couple more years because he can impact defenses. I mean, let's, you know, I know other things are at play here, but let's look at this defense since Khalil Mack's been hurt. It's gone from pretty good to horrendous because Khalil Mack isn't there to get to the quarterback and protect that's secondary. When Robert Quinn is the only guy doing it, it's not enough. You know, We don't have Hicks in the middle getting to the quarterback. It was Mac and Quinn. That's what was keeping this defense afloat, and now we have lost one of them, and Quinn can't do it by himself. Robert Quinn is older. He's making a lot of money. He may be around for another year or so after that. Maybe the Bears will trade him, but Robert Quinn is certainly not going to be around in four or five years and getting a 10, 10, 12 sacks a game. So Robert Quinn's really not that guy. Tonga looks like just a serviceable nose tackle. Backup, maybe low-end starter. You know, nice for for that late of a pick, but Tonga's not really a building block. Bilal Nichols, maybe that's a guy you sign, and maybe he won't be quite as expensive. He hasn't had that tremendous of a season. Eddie Goldman seems to have his head in the clouds. Uh, This is probably, I think, the last season that Eddie Goldman's going to be on the Bears. I wouldn't be surprised if Eddie Goldman retires after this season for some other issues that are going on with him. But, you know, defensive line, it's going to go from a strength to a weakness really quick. Obviously, you need to keep Roquan around, you're going to have to sign him very soon, Danny Trevathan, Al Ogletree, that's not an answer over there. And then when you get to the secondary, Eddie Jackson was an old rookie, he's a lot older than you realize for only being in the, in the league as many years as he has. Eddie Jackson, how much does he have left in the tank at this point? You can build around Jalen and you need more cornerbacks. There's not a lot here, right? You got Jalen Johnson, you got Darnell Mooney, you got Justin Fields, you got Roquan Smith. You sit there and say, all right, I I feel good about those four guys, right? I I think for my other guys, I I put in David Montgomery, I put in Tevin Jenkins just on, on the potential, and it definitely wasn't Cole Komet. I'm trying to think of who my seventh guy was. It wasn't Eddie Jackson. God, who who was it? Oh, I it was Cleo Mack. Cleo Mack. That was the seventh guy. So, you know, there's just not a lot there. It's tough to get to seven. I think when this new GM gets here, he's going to really look at this roster because it needs a lot of help there's not a lot of depth there are not a lot of young players where you sit there and say all right maybe next season they break out most of the rookies they drafted this year other than than Herbert you know Tevin Jenkins was on the shelf all year Borum has shown a little bit here but you know guys like Newsom, and guys like Graham they're just sitting on the practice squad so you know how much are they going to get out of this rookie class moving forward there's a lot of questions on this roster a lot of questions and I don't know if people really realize Like, if a new GM comes in here, how many – I mean, he's going to clean a lot of guys off this roster and try and start over as much as he can. It's – look, here's the positive. When you look at teams that have great quarterbacks, like Russell Wilson, when he's healthy. Forget it if something happens, you know, Peyton Manning gets hurt with the Colts and they bottom out and end up with the first pick and get Andrew Luck. You know, things like that happen. But when I'm talking about when you have a quarterback that's elite, top five quarterback in the league – and he's playing and he's healthy and he's playing 14 15 17 games a year when you have that for the most part go look at those teams those teams rarely rarely are below 500 and if they are they're like you know seven and nine rarely because if justin fields is the goods if that's the case the bears can build at least a decent team around them with the chance to spike and be a, be a playoff team that's that's an excellent place to start for a new gm if fields is Jay Cutler, then that's not enough. And the Bears can be up and down and and we'll see what happens. But if Fields is great, if that happens, if he puts it together, the Chicago Bears have a bright future just because of him and him alone. But overall, this roster, not a lot of depth, a lot of holes, and this is not an overnight fix. They need to be they need, to draft, they need to trade down, they need to acquire picks, they need to draft diligently, they need their guys to hit, and they need to be smart in free agency where they're getting guys that fit the puzzle well and getting a couple big names. It's a lot to ask for. It would be impressive if they did it in one season. Hopefully they can do it in two. It's possible because if you miss on a few players, this could be a three-year rebuild, which means you're losing a lot of the, the Justin Fields and his rookie contract, and that's disappointing. But we're going to get into all that with Robert Schmitz. We're going to talk and see what kind of coaching candidates he likes, maybe GM candidates. There's plenty to get into with him. So we will take a break. We'll be back with Robert Schmitz of Windy City Gridiron. This is Bears Banter, Bill Zimmerman. We'll be right back. Welcome back into the podcast. Time for the guest portion. Very excited here. Uh, We have him on every year. Haven't had him on yet, so glad to make this happen here. We chatted a little bit when the Matt Nagy rumor uh, popped up before the Detroit game. He is Robert Schmitz, Windy City Gridiron Zone, at Robert K. Schmitz on Twitter, and he joins us now. Robert, how are you?
0: I'm doing all right. It's always fun to get on podcasts that aren't the post-game podcast because the post-game podcast is without a doubt where you know the least about the game. It's It almost starts to feel like watching the game one time, Bill, is like an experience because when you sit down and really hammer out the L22, that can take hours. And it's not to toot a horn. It's more to say you get a lot more time with each play. With the the game itself, you're like, you know, you got to use a bathroom, you got to grab a beer, you got to like talk to your wife and you turn around and oh, shoot, it's third down. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> it's very different. So I love getting the chance to talk where my thoughts are together.
1: Yeah. And and without the all 22, I mean, you're, you're watching a, a television game and it just so happens that maybe a player had three high profile mistakes which you don't want but it may be that that player overall had a good game and just happened to make mistakes at the wrong time right. while there were other guys making multiple mistakes but they happened to make them on the opposite side of the ball uh, field or whatever it might be and it wasn't caught as much so yeah you do struggle getting getting a full grasp of what happened in the game and, and you know i know you sat there and, and broke down the packers game you know best you can, and look, I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on it because, you know, at this point we're looking big picture and everything. Was it nice to see the bears competitive for a half and hanging in there with the Packers? It was nice, but we're not giving away gold stickers for effort. Uh, and, and, you know, eventually, because let's be honest, the, the bears made a couple of flukish plays, the Jakeem grant, you know, punt return, which was the dumbest, you know, best outcome I've ever seen. Uh, You know, those type of things were happening in the first half. They stopped happening in the second half. Rogers got his rhythm, you know, not enough adjustments with Adams and, you know, Packers cruise. So to me, it's just another groundhog day example with this team. And now we sit here as, you know, bloggers, podcasters, you know, tape analysts, whatever you want to call yourself and say, we've got you know, the season is not over, you know, we have to continue to look here at the, the final, you know, four games of the season and it becomes a struggle.
0: Yep. I mean, Bill, it happened again. You've seen this. I know you have any bears fan has you think 2019, you think 2020 it's happening again, where every single time you see the bears line up in a spread set, what are they doing? Run. Correct. When they line up with four wide receivers on the field, what kind of play are they running?
1: I'd have to, I'd have to think about that a little more. It's a pass, just, just a pass, right? (laughs) Like, they, I don't know they yeah, like, if you were getting at like a specific, if they were going in their hitches or something, but yeah.
0: No, like pass in general, where it feels like the Bears rarely bunch up and get into a condensed set and then throw out of it unless they're doing full cell play action. And they rarely run the ball out of 10 personnel, which look, analytics loves running the ball out of spread formations because you spread the defense out and then you run into all that space. But that's not the point. The point is, is that the bears start to feel like they are just shooting themselves in the foot every single down with whether it's very obvious play calling direction where it doesn't really matter that they called outside run to the left versus outside run to the right. The The fact is, is that they gave away to Kenny Clark that, Hey, you're setting up for a run and it just frustrates me because you talked about how we're not going to d- break down the Packers game. And you're right. We don't have to. But these annual meetings with the Packers are such wonderful. They're not wonderful at all. Reminders of where the Bears stand compared to a talented roster. I feel like we can't just not talk about them. Did you happen to read Dan Weirder's art- article yesterday? I, I,
1: I, Weirder did a f- tremendous job.
0: Absolutely Phenomenal. And one of the things that he said that I reverberated within me, because I've seen this in myself, in the Bears fan base, is that we are so willing to hold on to tiny little flashes of success and ignore massive wholesale failure. That games like the Packers game, without a Jakeem Grant miracle touchdown, and then without a Jakeem Grant miracle punt return touchdown, or the fact that Demir Byrd split the whole Packers defense wide open. The Bears' first half was ugly offensively. They got spotted the ball at the 40. They got a field goal out of it at the five. They drove to the 40. They didn't go for it, punted for a net gain of 19 yards and got lucky that the Packers didn't score off it. I mean, the pieces were there for the Bears to get blown out. They just had the dice come up on all sixes for like 30 football minutes. And then the dust settled immediately afterwards. You know what I
1: mean? Like, yeah, no, I, I get exactly what you mean. And, and let's use that point to kind of jump off because one of the things I wanted to kind of do is look at this roster because you know, we can sit here and talk about these last four games and what do you want to see out of Justin Fields? And if Tevin Jenkins plays, what do you want to see out of him? But for me, I, I like look, looking bigger picture. So let's talk about the roster and let's just not bury the lead and just jump right in with, with QB one, Justin Fields. So we, we, we've seen the flashes and this is so I'm going to try and come at you here as objective as I can, because I fell victim to and I think a lot of bears fell victim to and some bears fans still have fallen victim to as you as you you said and weirder said the flashes of success. So I go back to 10 and this is not to bash Mitch Trubisky, but we saw some special plays from Mitch Trubisky. We saw him make special plays in the legs 2018 with with the the new england game you know for example that run he made against new england the throw he made in uh, against washington to taylor gabriel on the run in the corner of the end zone whatever it was 40 yards down the field incredible play mitch trubisky has the ability to flash talent very talented plays unique plays that not a lot of quarterbacks in the nfl can make mitch trubisky in between everything else was a major problem. It didn't come along as much. And I understand we can sit there and say Nagy didn't do certain things for him, et cetera. But bottom line is Mitch proved he was not. You want to sit there and try and argue if you're a Trubisky fan that he's a, a worthy of a starting quarterback in the NFL? You know, we can have that conversation if you want, but Mitch Trubisky, regardless, proved he's not. You can blame Nagy, you can blame all this stuff, regardless of any of it. He's not a top 15 quarterback in the NFL. I don't see him ever becoming a top 15 quarterback in the NFL. If he does, it'll be years from now. So if that's what we're looking at with Mitch Trubisky, where we as fans in 2017 and 2018, we grabbed onto those big plays, those great plays and said, this is why this guy in 2019 is going to make this big jump forward. I look at Justin Fields and I'm not saying Fields and Trubisky are the same guy because I think Fields highs are higher than Trubisky's. And the one thing that I've seen that really stands apart that's a difference between the two is the elite deep ball. The big time throw, as PFF likes to call it. Fields is not doing well in that regard for just rookies. Fields is doing well in that regard amongst all quarterbacks in the NFL. He has that many types of flashes of big time arm talent. That's where I'm most excited about Justin Fields. We know about the legs and the athleticism he has in the pocket. I know this has been a long-winded roundabout way to ask about Justin Fields. Are you seeing at this point, and I know it's still early, it's just sure. season, enough flashes where you feel this is all going to come together or there have been plenty of inconsistencies. Fields isn't alone. Lawrence and, and Wilson and these other rookies have struggled as well. Are you, cons- are you more concerned in on December, in the middle of December, than you thought you would be about Justin Fields?
0: So, No. I mean, okay. I don't know. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to put into words, right? Cause on one hand, it, I gotta just say this, right? We don't have to act like fields is playing well in an objective sense, right? If this was, you took the Jersey off of him and you shrouded him like one of those, who's that Pokemon things from at least when I was growing up and you said, <laughs> is this quarterback playing? Well, you'd say not really like you can't go the whole second half or the third quarter with like 35 yards passing, And call it a big thumbs up, you know, at the same time where I know I'm getting hung up watching fields, let's use this Packers game as a perfect example. So first of all, we can just go ahead and admit that with the Demir bird touchdown and the Jakeem Grant quote unquote touchdown pass fields got the most favorable statistical adjustment that he got all season right? Normally we've been talking about like, what if Alan Robinson caught that 35 yard touchdown pass against Cincinnati? Well, not this time. We're talking about two touchdowns that are quote unquote free. And yes, the ball to Demir bird was a good one. Was it touchdown worthy? You be, you, you be the judge, right? Was it touchdown
1: worthy. I would say no, but I will say this. He placed it where he gave bird a chance for yak. Somebody gets one
0: every year. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not uncommon enough that we say that's a miracle. It's a miracle for the bears. It's a once or twice, maybe three times a season thing for most quarterbacks. The trouble is bill is that I sit here asking myself, cause you saw this just like I did when fields has to sit in the pocket, make a read, nobody's open, break out of the pocket, break one tackle, break two tackles, and then fans the ball to Jimmy Graham, leaving it too low on third down. Is that a bad play? Or one that you're excited that he was in position to make it all like. Well,
1: he went, and, and that's where you sit there and go, you know, with experience. And, and hopefully he just floats that ball where it needs to be to Graham. And it's it's completed. And it's the excitement, the excitable yep. play that is just a third down conversion. It actually comes to fruition. Exactly. I mean, the
0: trouble I'm seeing with fields is. I know we're not in the business of gold stickers here, and we just talked about that, but we're talking about a rookie quarterback that was pressured on 54% of 35 dropbacks and took two sacks. The same kid ate five sacks and could have eaten more against a Cleveland defense that just destroyed him, and he stood there and took every punishing hit. Fields is improving. He's not lighting the world on fire, and maybe he will, but it won't be this season. And it sucks because back in 2019, I know I was a vocal critic of Mitch Trubisky to just everybody's thinking it right. We can go ahead and talk about it. I felt like you could look at the tape and you could see the open receiver. I feel like we saw the clean pocket passing errors, right? We saw frenetic pocket handling somebody that didn't know whether he was stepping up, stepping out, running into sacks and missing open receivers with time to plant his feet with Justin Fields. Maybe I've just got rookie rosy glasses on. Like there are definitely mistakes to use a good example. That first quarter play action ball to Mooney, where he left the ball a little too far outside. He's got to throw it sooner, right? He gets a little fouled up on the read because you can tell he's still trying to figure out the difference between NFL open and OSU open and warm his trigger up to that's a window I can hit, or at least I should be able to, but that's, normal i mean think about how many rookies whether it's russell wilson in his first season who looked flashy but you know nothing crazy i think they were i i don't think it was a losing season that was a good seahawks team around i I, I know i
1: think they made the playoffs but he was you know he was game managing
0: right exactly i don't know maybe i'm taking the wrong attitude to this but the guy that i know i look at on like directly across is trevor lawrence who just came off of a four interception game Trevor Lawrence is a very talented quarterback. If Trevor Lawrence busts, I will blame Jacksonville. If the if Zach Wilson butts or busts in New York, I don't really have that same passion to defend Zach Wilson and act like he absolutely shouldn't have been a miss. But to call Trevor Lawrence a bust, I think is silly. In that same way, I see the sim a similar struggle within Fields' game, where when he's decently protected and receivers get open, he plays like he did against Pittsburgh. And uh and the Packers game, he didn't really have receivers open, and he definitely didn't have protection. So you tell me becomes the answer. There are a lot of people, Bears fans in particular, that I think are just incredibly frustrated that Fields isn't better than year four Trubisky. And that's kind of silly, in my opinion. Yeah, but yeah,
1: and look, and that's and that's where judging rookie quarterbacks is such a challenge because you sit there and you know there's going to be highs and you know there's going to be lows and trying to decipher through it becomes complicated where you don't want to be, you don't want to dwell on the negatives, but you don't want to overplay the positives. And it's, it's a challenge because Mm -hmm. very rarely, and and I'm not saying Mac Jones is on his way to being Tom Brady, but very rarely do you have a rookie quarterback playing at that level, who by the way, is in an absolute perfect situation with the probably greatest coach in the history of the league, arguably in the history of sports, you know, helping him through his rookie season. It's, it's absolutely a perfect spot. And we, you know, we've seen in the past, Ben Roethlisberger, Russell Wilson. We've seen guys that step in and have very good – Justin Herbert, very good rookie seasons, but it's few and far between.
0: And then you look at at Justin Herbert, and, I mean, Justin Herbert had – Austin Eckler he had Mike Williams he had Keenan Allen like you look at the weapons that that Justin Herbert team had Deshaun Watson had Will Fuller and Nick Hopkins on his team like even the ones that got pressured like crazy had a lot of weapons that nominally you would hope for more out of Allen Robinson and Darnell Mooney but whether it's play calling whether it's the situation around them we have just not seen the same Allen Robinson whether Andy Dalton or Justin Fields has thrown the ball And that's been a real bummer suffice to say, I, I don't know. The trouble that I'm having with fields is that I want to be as objective as possible. And I see a kid who's getting better. Like let's remember what happened in the Baltimore game. One of, I thought his biggest mistakes all season, or at least based on where he was going, he had an open lane to run and he stepped up kept the ball loose, got hit on the arm, fumbled, gave the ball or gave Baltimore the ball back on a critical drive, a, a drive where the Bears needed to answer. Now Baltimore has the ball at their 40. Unacceptable. What happens in the Packers game? Well, for the first time, basically all season, Bill, not only is Fields tucking the ball when he goes to run, but he's willing to run out to the back of the pocket when that's open to him. He's perfectly fine slipping around an offensive lineman and then going back to front if you will, and then pulling the ball out of a carrier's position and back into a throwing position instead of just carrying it like a thrower the entire time. He's getting better. It's just all these little things and it's not 330 yards, but I would ask anybody who's stat hunting, whether they would really rather have Davis Mills 330 yard performance or the talent that I think we're seeing out of Justin Fields going forward. I really don't think we're going to see that many people picking mills. So we don't need to, I don't know, uh, what is it? Ooh and ah and boo over stats and whether they're there or not, given what we're seeing on this offense.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I had a chance to talk to a former NFL quarterback who, you know, does analyze quarterbacks from time to time, just within the last week. And, you know, kind of asked them what he felt about Justin Fields, you know, kind of floor ceiling. I said, I know it's a little tough to do at this point, but what would you do? His statement was, "Floor Jay Cutler with a better attitude, ceiling Russell Wilson." That's pretty. And I know, <laughs> obviously, Field has a lot more athleticism than Cutler, but I get what he's talking about with the with the arm talent and the abilities that that Cutler had. So, yeah, I sat there and went, "You know what? I think that's fair at this point."
0: Average at worst is a good place to be, and I mean, one thing that I know I'm really loving, I really am. So. If you've listened to my podcast at all, anybody out there, you'll know that what I tend to say nowadays is that where you really want that athletic quarterback, whether it's Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, yada, 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 is that a lot of times rookies are not going to come right out of the N or they're not going to hit the NFL ready to throw on time on time is hard. And so unless you're new England and you run so many motion routes that on time is subjective because you can throw, if you think about it, like against man coverage bill, when somebody runs an in, if they're running all the way across the field, they're either open or not the entire way. Cause they just keep running and maintain that same separation, but the bears don't do that. They run curl routes, a lot of curl routes. <laughs> and so within that, you need that athletic toolkit to kind of make up for the fact that the rookie's going to just goof a player to here or there. And if you saw what I saw, Bill, I mean, Fields is athleticism and his legs are starting to become a stable part of his offense where, yes, his passing total isn't gaudy at 220 yards. But when you add the 80 yards rushing that he had at the same time, you get this nice, neat, 290 plus combined yardage total that I don't think anybody would spit at. And so seeing him come along that way has me positive about the direction forward. And I don't want to be silly and say, I think he's headed to the hall of fame, but I will tell you that his release has not been near the problem. It was supposed to be. I think he's playing hurt with his ribs, which sucks. Everybody who I've ever heard say that they had broken ribs says that most of the time they couldn't breathe, let alone throw a football. And And he admitted it
1: hurts every time he throws the football. I
0: mean, that sucks. Right. And I'm I'm willing to at least say he's a rookie, he's playing hurt. Last game was fairly bad, but he's starting to look like a quarterback that's seeing the game slow down. And that I think is a positive. It just matters what he does in year two or year three, which generally is where we see the quarterback either take that next step or never get there, you know?
1: Yeah. Now now let's let's look at the roster. And I want to look at the roster and kind of big picture the roster here. We obviously focus on fields here to jump out of the gate. But yeah, let's 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 assume that Matt Nagy is gone. Let's assume, and I don't know if we can assume this yet, but I'm going to, based on recent conversations, that Ryan Pace is no longer the general manager of this team. Ryan Pace may be with this organization still, but I'm going to say, let's for the sake of this conversation, let's say that Ryan Pace is not making roster calls in 2022, and a new person is. So when we look at this offense, let's focus on skill positions first. We l- we can lump them all together: running back, tight end, and wide receiver. When you look at this talent, when you look at this group on offense, where do you see pieces where if the Bears can get good in 2023, 2024, if Fields becomes the goods and they can build around him, what are the pieces right now that you see on offense saying, and keep in mind contracts expiring. So David Montgomery, you've got to commit to him. If you want, you've got to pay him if you want to keep him. Where do you see the building blocks and the skill positions right now on offense that you'd like to see staying with this roster?
0: So I really think that the centerpiece on offense is Darnell Mooney, which is silly because a lot of people have said, and they're right, that Darnell Mooney's not a wide receiver one. I don't think he is either. The problem is is that I think the Bears are kind of stuck at tight end. Yes, part of that's because of the Jimmy Graham money. I can't believe that I mentioned that. I hate the fact that Jimmy Graham just keeps coming up. We don't need to keep talking about him. But I think the real problem here, Bill, is that the Bears invested a little bit too much in Cole Kmet to try to upgrade him and phase him out of the offense. And if you get decent enough wide receivers, you can get Cole commit open by virtue of everybody else, drawing the attention and number 85, sneaking into space. That's what Jason Witten did his whole life. And he ended up in the hall of fame. That's okay. Like there are a lot of ways to play tight end. And so you don't need Cole commit to be the separation machine to be all right, or a functional part of the offense. Cause I don't, Think. I mean, at least I don't hope anybody's expecting Cole Komet to become this amazing player. I think that person ends up disappointed, but I also don't think that he flat sucks partially because tight end seems a lot harder than I think a lot of people think it is. But from Mooney becomes that question bill, right? Because you've got Borum and you've got uh, Tevin Jenkins, but you don't have a center. You don't even know if you have a left and right guard, depending on what you do this off season. you have Mooney, but who's your wide receiver one. Do you want one?
1: Like He's not on the roster? Would you, well, would you attack? He, he could be, but the guy has checked out. Yep. So he won't be on the roster. Anymore.
0: Exactly. He He doesn't want to be in Chicago and his agent has no problem saying it, which by the way, Not a great look in my opinion, but anyways, uh, I digress. The point is bill, do they attack this position wide receiver with volume, like grabbing a Michael Gallup and a Christian Kirk to pair with Darnell Mooney so that you've got three twos instead of a one, a two and a three. Maybe I think that could certainly work. So then what do they do at offensive line? Do they get Ryan Jensen or do they go cheaper? Do they go draft? Where does it go? I have no idea. Cause the problem is, is that I feel like if the bears were a refrigerator full of food, it's a whole bunch of pieces that don't have their pair, right? You have a wide receiver two, and that's literally the whole wide receiver room. You have a right tackle, you have a left tackle, and I'm not even hundred percent sure the bears know which name is at which position at this point, which drives me wild, but your whole interior, you have no idea like white hair, maybe but maybe you cut white hair because of his disappointing year this year. It's actually pretty weird when you look at this. I'm like, are you seeing the instability and the flux that I am?
1: Oh, and and that's why I want to bring it up. And and that's why I think a lot of Bears fans came into this season thinking that this was a very good roster that could compete. And, you know, we heard a lot of people ahead of time, whether they be, you know, fans, bloggers, whatever it might have been, praising how good this offensive line was going to be. We heard a lot of people, you know, and I'm not saying we heard this from, you know, uh, you know, from the, the top local analysts or national analysts, but I'm saying we a lot of fans. I'm kind of talking about the, the fans that like talking, talking about Brandon it, talking Thorn. On social media, Sam Mustafer, This was going to be his big breakout season and, and, and stabilize the, the position. And we, we, we heard all these things, but when you looked at this, this roster and especially now that we've looked at it after, after 13 games here, the roster is not good. The roster does not have building blocks, and the Windy City Gridiron right now currently is doing the Magnificent Seven, the building blocks, and that's kind of where this conversation right. wanted to stem from. Is when I did that exercise, my seventh building block at the time when I when I submitted it was Tevin Jenkins, who had not taken an offensive snap for the team. That's not good. No, I, I look. I still hope for Tevin Jenkins. I know he struggled, but I mean. I'm giving him a complete pass on having to step in there. You know, when I talked to Patrick Manley a few weeks ago, he was like, keeping this in mind about Tevin Jenkins, no off season, no preseason, you know, no training camp. So now you sit there and say, oh, well, now, you know, now he gets to practice a couple of weeks. Not really. One day with pads per week is all he gets rather than every day in, in pretty much every day in training camp. He He is not going to just get back in the swing of things. He hasn't played football in over a year, basically.
0: Plus plus Bill, another thing that drives me nuts as uh, let's call me a fanalist, right? Like we don't need to give me too official a title, but even so people forget that healthy enough to play and healthy different things, right? And so healthy enough to take up a roster spot and go in a game if you need to where Tevin Jenkins is and where Justin Fields was, you know, Monday, not healthy enough to play turns out Andy Dalton's hurt. So Tuesday he's, he's ready to go. Right. Like funny how these things turn around. I'm not convinced Tevin's healthy. Like he can't move laterally, which you've played offensive line, the ability to move laterally. Not only is it like the whole game, but it comes out of the lower back. Like that's where that tension point is. When you get into your offensive line squat, I don't know, man, like it, the bears have, a troublesome future with building blocks. Like they need a 2022 year to figure it out one way or another. And the worst part is to any bears fan. Look, I hope they fix the GM situation. Like I hope they fire pace because what scares me the most bill is that I would tell you that the worst part is, if they did everything we just described, right? They add two receivers in free agency. They add an offensive lineman. They build an offense that might actually work with Justin Fields. There won't be enough resources to fix a defense that is barren right now. And so you need two years to fix a really dire situation.
1: I mean, I think so, but you tell me, am I being a doom and gloomer? No, I, that, that's where I am. And, and I've said this on my podcast I think probably since March when 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 you know the Bears were making uh, roster decisions, what and this is George McCaskey's fault. This is not Ryan Pace's fault. This is George McCaskey's fault. When you tell your head coach and general manager, this season you're going to fix the quarterback position and you're going to make the playoffs. So what did they, they try and do? They tried to do exactly that. They tried to get a veteran, they tried to get, you know, Derek Carr, they tried to get Russell Wilson. Who knows how much they were in on Carson Wentz, but they tried that route. When they couldn't secure the guy they wanted, they went out aggressively and got Fields. Tip of the cap to Ryan Pace and and for doing so. However, at the same time, now you have Justin Fields, a rookie quarterback. But you spent the last six weeks prior to that punting money down the into future seasons, grabbing guys on one year deals, burning up cap space. Where once, when you have Justin Fields, when you're committing to a new quarterback, the goal is not to try and squish a bunch of players in around a rookie quarterback and try and squeeze into the playoffs. That is a nine and 18. The goal is let's start looking at what we can do to have a Super Bowl contending roster, maybe in 2022, but at least 2023, 2024, what the bears have done. And this is, I don't think a lot of bears fans agree with me. And I, this is one of those. I will fight you to the death on this point is they've lost a season of Justin Fields, rookie contract. And what I mean by that is they don't have a lot of roster flexibility next season because of what Ryan Pace did this season and the dead money that's still going to be created, assumingly getting rid of Nick Foles, Danny Trevathan, other pieces that serve no purpose anymore. So instead of doing that and kind of clearing out that dead space this year, where you can start building next year, now they're going to be limited next year because of the roster moves they made this year. So what you've done is you've lost a year. The most valuable thing in the NFL is a rookie quarterback contract where the rookie quarterback is playing at a high level. You can't be more valuable than that because you're only paying them a few million dollars rather than $40 million. The Bears have lost a season. It's gone because now they're going to be starting next year where they should have been starting this year. And that to me is really frustrating Uh, You know, without trying to sound condescending, I don't think a lot of Bears fans realize what has happened with the cap space. Whenever I bring up cap space on Twitter, they tell me, you know, we got 80 million dollars if we make these two cuts and we're going to sign the entire NFL league and everything's fine. And that's not the case, especially with the amount of dead money they're going to create. That dead money is creeping up to really large numbers where you've seen you know, numbers put out in the history of the league when dead cap space reaches the numbers that the bears could be approaching. No team in the history of the league has ever even had a winning record. Forget making the playoffs. They've never had a winning record. And that's what the bears are going to be dealing with next year. So they're going to have to retool as much as they can next year. And then really hope that 2023 is the year where everything can kind of be fixed and come into place.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, Hey, look, you want to hear the bright side, Bill, because I, me personally, I can't dwell in the negative for too long. I want to be realistic so that Bears fans out there, like you listening, that we can have a conversation and that we don't get our hearts set on the Bears beating the Packers on the night where they have no shot and instead get to enjoy the fun of that wild and wacky first half before the reality of the second half sets in which if you watch the game again, you'll see those traces of what the second half was going to be, whether it was the offensive line getting absolutely bullied, whether it was Kenny Clark dominating on the interior on every single run play, like, Those issues came home to roost in the second half because they were present, but I digress. The point is, Bill, is that offense is like a six-to-seven-man game on any given play. You just change which seven are involved, right? Where, if you think about it, the reason that that Kansas City offense works like it does is because when you want to target Tyreek Hill and have Byron Pringle as a backup, you got your five offensive linemen, Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek, and Byron, Executing the play with three other guys that either kind of get a snap off or they become tertiary options. They're not really expecting the ball. You get the idea. Defense is an 11 man sport, but it's also a young man's game, right? You can buy an offense and then draft a defense and go with that. Like, if the 2022 offseason focuses on building a stable offense, that offense will hit year two in 2023 as we start to draft defenders that, as it probably won't surprise you, you can draft a rookie safety and they can immediately pop off next to Eddie Jackson. Like, there is a real path to fixing the team, but we won't get there trying to win nine games and only nine games. The bears faced now, when I think about it, right. The bears faced three, let's call them champion, actually four championship level teams this season, right. They faced the Rams, the Packers, the Packers, I guess also the Cardinals. Now that I think about it and Tampa Bay, let me ask you, Bill, how did the roster look in those games? They were destroyed, destroyed, right. And so at some point, I think we've got to stop trying to compete with the Carolina Panthers for this brand new seventh seed that honestly, the more I watch the teams that make the seventh seed, it almost seems to feel like it was a mistake that it was created because I hate to be the gatekeeper that says they don't deserve it. Right. But when the bears played the saints, like who watched that game, right? Who watched that game and thought this is a good football game, but the bears roster has got to level up. It's not just the quarterback. I think, if you stuck, if, I think if you stuck Russell Wilson on this Chicago Bears team, he'd look like he does in Seattle right now, and that's not a compliment. Like The Bears have to figure it out uh, on all levels of the team, and they've got time to do it, but it starts dead coming. With George McCaskey making the decision that it's time for radical change because I get it. You can't get everywhere firing everybody every single year, but sticking with Ryan Pace's now ninth year, Next year is not going to fix
1: things. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, so so let's take a minute. Let's kind of look at front office structure. Uh, obviously, the Bears have, and look, and this isn't unique sure. to other teams. The, the the Bears' front office structure is is what a lot of teams have. But here, here's what I'll say. Now, I understand the McCaskies have been around football a long time. But for whatever reason, the true knowledge of the game and the passion of the game has escaped them george admits it he goes i'm a fan now you know you if yet if that's the situation then how do you properly evaluate the front office the football operations you can't now i'll look at you know you brought up kansas city so i'll bring up clark hunt someone you know Lamar Lamar Hunt one of the you know basically one of the big owners in in the history of, of the league you know you know coined the name Super Bowl you know brought the AFL and the NFL together huge huge owner his son Clark Hunt now owns the Chiefs I've had the opportunity to speak to Clark Hunt at almost every Super Bowl the last dozen years because awesome. he comes he, he comes on our show every, every year the Chiefs Chiefs are a great organization that aside he knows the sport like Clark Hunt knows a lot more about football than I do. And that's what I want out of my own. You know, I sit there and go, I feel like if I sat down with George McCaskey, I would be telling him things. And I don't want that. And I understand it's not George McCaskey's job to decide, you know, who's playing running back in a, in a particular week and what calls, plays should be called on third and short. But I want him to be able to evaluate the football operations. And he can't do it. And Ted Phillips is an accountant. He can't do it. Now, we saw some rumors online, uh, and, and Dan Weeder brought it up as well. Ted Phillips might be distancing himself. He might be retiring. If that's the case, this is opening the door right now for George McCaskey to do something bold. He can split the president role into a business ops and a football ops and still bring in a general manager. So, you know, and I don't know what, you know, Will McClay or Rick Smith or, or any of these guys are looking for. But if you tell me right now that the Bears could bring in whoever to shadow Ted Phillips for a year and the business side, I don't care, you know, you know, whoever, you know, is, is a great business mind, right. Bring in Rick Smith, president of football ops and bring in Will McClay as a general manager, you know, and let's have two football minds in the top of, of the, of the organization making football decisions. Two heads are better than one. This isn't, this isn't difficult, but that's not something they've ever done. So will George McCaskey be bold and sit there and say, I love you, Ryan Pace, but this isn't going to work out. You know, Ted, you're retiring. I'm restructuring this thing. Will he be bold? I would love to see it. And I'm hopeful that it could happen. But based on what I have seen over the last 20 years with this team and this organization, I just kind of see maybe... Ryan Pace gets reassigned. Maybe they just bring in a new GM. I just I am hopeful, but I am not expecting the change that I want to see.
0: So what makes me pause with that, because you're right, like you've laid out the case. I can't argue with it. Right. George McCaskey in the world of owners that try to win is not the best equipped. And I think that's okay to say without being insulting, because I think he tries. If there's one thing that I will credit to George, he cares about the fans, right? And when you have when you have Dan Weirderer and Adam Johns and like Adam Hogue and people like us, like at all levels of the fan base saying you have got to do better than this, I think he might get the message. Like, I get it. I think, in fact, it was me talking to you, telling the story or the anecdote of when you shift from a 1995 sedan to anything made in 2015. It will feel like you've been taken into the future. And Ryan Pace bringing in, you know, nutritional science, which shocking to think the Bears didn't have nutritional science eight years ago, but. Apparently they didn't revamping Hallis hall. It is going to be hard to get over his attachment to it, but I can't help but think that given the massive public outcry, it's becoming not even niche to criticize pace. Like I would almost say that pace supporters are becoming the minority. That's got to reach George's ears. Now, is that enough? Like you're saying, can't say yes with a straight face. You never know, but it feels like, if Ted Phillips is really about to retire that radical change is coming, it's just a matter of what it's going to look like. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. And that's, and that's the question. And obviously the only person that can answer that is George. We're going to find out in January, you know, I would love to find out sooner because they can make some movements in the organization. We've, we've talked about it 8,000 times with the new rule. The one thing, and I've said this multiple times with this new rule about being able to interview coaches, Two, week, you know, two weeks before the season ended. How many teams are in a position to take advantage of that? And, and what I mean by that is who's on the hot seat right now? Now, Urban Meyer has really slid himself firmly on the hot seat. Jacksonville's bad. Could, you know, Shad Khan make the move in, in you know, late December and say, I'm done with this. This is a, you know, an, an S show and, and be done with it. That's possible. So obviously that's, that's one case right there. That really wasn't a case a couple of weeks ago. But the rest of the bad teams, brought, you know, the, the Jets aren't making a, a head coaching change. It's, that's a first-year coach. Houston, I, I know no one really liked that hire, but they're not going to make a coaching change. That's, that, that's, that's a first-year coach. The Giants seem committed to Joe Judge for another year. So that's another spot. You know, Campbell has done, you know, practically nothing in Detroit. But again, first-year coach. And that's with a first-year GM. You think the first-year G- I do don't care—you know how many games they lose this year. You think the first-year GM is going to go back to the Ford family and say, "I screwed up with Dan Campbell. We need to make a new." That's not happening. Well, so Bill, what teams fucking- are making changes mid-season? Because we've talked about this, you know, in casually. Who the Vikings? Right. The Vikings are still in the playoff chase. They're not making a coaching change. The Broncos, especially because Fanji only got a four-year deal, uh, so this would be the, the year to do this. They're in the they're in the playoff chase. They're they're not cutting fan, they're not firing Fancio in a week or two. So what teams are really going to be able to take advantage of that? Even the Raiders, you know, in the situation they're in, they're still competing. They're, these teams aren't going to make this change. Now, the Raiders in theory could, because it, it all that matters is that Gruden was fired. So they in theory could do it, even though they're competing for the playoffs. But I would think that Mark Davis is going to be focused on the playoffs and not so much about his next head coach, because maybe his next head coach is his current head coach, right? right. There's not a lot of opportunities here for teams to fire their coach early and bring in a new coach and, and start interviewing coaches the last two weeks of the season, which helps George McCaskey out who doesn't want to fire coaches in the middle of the season. And he may not have to again, because he doesn't have to worry about not getting a leg up on other teams in terms of their head coach hire.
0: Oh, totally. And I mean, hey, look, the opposite side of that coin is that opportunity knocks. You aren't having to work too hard to be the first one in the door, right? When all those teams that you mentioned. I mean, so it's funny. I had to mention something about Dan Campbell. The weird part about Campbell in particular is that we only know Campbell from Detroit's record. What we, the weird things that we hear him say sometimes and bears lions games where he seems to make like four to five major coaching flubs a game, at least feels that way. Right. But if you actually troll around lions boards a little bit, they love him over there. It's so funny seeing the way that a coach talks And what that'll do for a fan base, even if he's calling timeouts at all the wrong times, including a five yard penalty for calling a timeout twice, which is legal things like that, that you're like, how is this guy running a franchise? But I digress. It's, it's a nice reminder of like Nagy's unilaterally hated in Chicago, despite the team being bizarrely competitive with a relatively bad roster not a fight I want to fight because he generally annoys everybody across all of his pressers and Campbell, despite being one and whatever is unilaterally loved right now because he says all those right things. Anyways, the, the point that I guess I'm getting at is the bears are a charter franchise, which doesn't matter that much, right? It just helps when it comes to a front office person. I mean, you tell me bill i guess i don't have too much of a larger point but there is something to the idea that you're not rescuing the jacksonville jaguars you're rescuing the chicago bears that is at least kind of
1: attractive right oh yeah absolutely the the one of the the biggest draws of the chicago bears is the brand the fact that you know and it's, it's not just that, you know, they're one of the original franchises. I mean, this was George Hallis. George. This is the team that f- literally founded the league. And, you know, the Packers actually aren't an original franchise. The Packers came by a, a year later. There is only a handful of teams. The, the Cardinals are an original franchise, which blows my mind that the Cardinals have been around that long. They feel like a team that came along in 1965, right. but the Cardinals have been around because they were in Chicago you know it, the cardinals have been around forever there's only a handful of these teams but the cardinals don't have what the bears have the bears the packers the giants there are these you know the cowboys now at this point there are these 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 franchises that the Steelers, right? Steelers make that. Steelers make that. I think the Steelers make that. And the Steelers were a joke of a franchise until 19, until the early seventies. That's wild. But the Steelers have had 50 years of success at this point. I mean, literally 50 years with barely a losing record. It's, it's absolutely remarkable what that franchise has been able to do when you get the right people in place and you have consistency and you have stability within an organization. The Chicago bears haven't had that. If they get the right mix of people and that's the the scary thing is you just don't trust George to find those people. But if they do, if they can get lucky, yeah, they're, they're an absolute draw because of the fact that they are the Chicago Bears. They are a monster franchise. And if you're a front office executive and you like what you've seen from Justin Fields and you believe Fields is the goods, then you're going to sit there and go, I have Justin Fields. I have a, a huge franchise in the league that's going to be a draw. Fields is going to be a draw for offensive players. And I can build this into something special because- Here's the thing. And you look at teams with elite quarterbacks, not even, you know, the, you know, I'm not talking about the Derek cars of the world or the Kirk cousins of the world who are, you know, good quarterbacks and can flash and have great games. I'm talking about the elite quarterbacks. I'm talking about the Rogers, the Brady's, you know, you know, Lamar Watson, you know, Russ, that, that group of quarterbacks, when you have that group of quarterbacks and your quarterback plays every game or close to every game that season, if you look at history, and even recently, or you want to go way back, you, the teams are not bad. You, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what kind of inept GM you might have. You, if you have Russell Wilson playing at peak Russell Wilson, you're eight and eight at worst. Like that's yep. basic. Maybe seven and nine. That's your floor. These guys, these quarterbacks, don't have losing seasons because the fact that you have stability at the most important position and you can build around it and. If you're a GM in this league, you're not going to miss it, everything. So if the Bears have found that with Fields, and that's the most thing. and I know there's been a lot of negativity in this podcast, but when you look at the big picture, that's the most positive thing, is if Justin Fields is the goods, not just Jay Cutler good, you know, but I'm talking, if, if he is Russell Wilson good within a couple seasons, the Chicago Bears should have a decade plus of play where they are no worse than you know, if assuming they stick with seventeen games, they are no worse than eight and nine. They right. are, you know, December fifteenth. When you're sitting there having having a podcast, you're talking at worst about what their path is to the playoffs. Maybe you're talking about the path of division. Maybe you're talking about the path to home field advantage. That's what happens when you have stability and a great player at the quarterback position. If the Bears have that in fields, the attractive level that that the the attraction that that can be to the top football executives, top head coaches, you know, potential candidates in the entire sport is going to be impressive. And to pair that with what the Bears organization is, and like you said, rescuing the Chicago Bears, you have a, you know, a GM that brings the Chicago Bears into greatness, and they are a great franchise for the next 10, 15, 20 years that are consistently winning games. That GM is going to be looked at one day for hall of fame consideration. That's what bringing this bears team back up to relevancy year in and year out. will do.
0: Mm -hmm. And you know, when it comes to fields, like the last thing I'll say about that is I think that some people are in a little bit too much of a hurry to get to that hall of fame level. Like if we take a look across the NFL, right? We have so many of these young quarterbacks. So I grew up bill where I learned football with Tom Brady. Who's still here somehow, right? Peyton Manning, Philip rivers, Tony Romo, Matt Ryan was young. Matt Stafford had just been drafted. Like, I grew up in this golden age of quarterbacking that if you then take a look at the next couple of years, don't get me wrong. Jared Goff had his moments. Carson Wentz had his time in the sun. Baker Mayfield was good at one point, but a lot of the younger crop of quarterbacks have just not lived up to those legends the way that outside of obviously occasional examples like Dak Prescott jumped up out of the fourth round. Justin Herbert looks phenomenal Deshaun Watson you know, until recently uh, looked like he was going to join that uh, upper echelon. And Patrick Mahomes does Patrick Mahomes things that nobody else can. The point being that when you look at all that stability you talked about, it could take Fields reaching real veterancy to get that stable. I mean, right now, Fields is about to probably like if they take what Fields likes into consideration when selecting their head coach, they're going to be asking a 23 year old that came out of Ohio State and learned under Matt Nagy, John Filippo, and Phil, uh, Bill Lazor what his preferences are on a head coach. And I couldn't make that decision. You know what I mean? Like if you asked Matt Ryan, he's played in enough offenses and been around the league enough that he'll tell you what he wants. And the coach will go, I can work with that. But with fields, they need that confident leader, that football person to come in, hold George's hand and make some good decisions. Because I think uh, like we've seen with a lot of bears things, right? People who aren't qualified to make a decision, having to make that decision has practically defined the bears last 30 years. Is that fair? Like we we we've seen people make decisions that were above board. And if that means that we've got to ride a slow train up as fields gets better, I don't think it'll be that slow, but he's not going to hit that Hall of Fame level overnight without a roster around him that can help him get there football's a team sport and sometimes we can distill it down to a sport that Tom Brady could walk onto Jacksonville and immediately dominate. And I'm just not so sure. Sometimes you do have to have systems in place that allow quarterbacks to whether it's use their brain or use their natural talents, Excel right now, the bears are not doing that. So it remains to be seen if they will build something that accentuates fields and the rest of the roster. But like you said, by the time it comes to extend fields, pay him going forward. If he makes it there and we've all got smiles on our face, we'll be able to keep those smiles for quite some time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And let's, let's wrap up with this here for you. Candidates, you know, for next season, if you've got someone you like a front office executive type and you want to share, bring it up. But for the most part, I'm talking about head coach, you know, what, what you've seen with schemes around the league with other offenses uh, you know, I've been up and down on a lot of offensive candidates this year. There's a lot of offensive candidates I, I don't love that a lot of other people do. At the same time, you know, some, you know, I'll bring up someone like Byron Lefwich. I think, you know, potentially Byron Lefwich could be a, a great head coach. I think, you know, Bruce Arians has said all the right things about how much Lefwich is involved in the offense. But the problem with me on that is I heard Andy Reid say the same things in 2017 about Matt Nagy. When you have a, a, an offensive dominant head coach like Reed, like Arians, I don't know how much the coach below them is doing. So I don't know how much Leftwich is doing. Plus, he's got Tom Brady there, who's an extra offensive coordinator himself. So, you know, Tom Brady's older than Briar Leftwich. Right. So um, I don't know who, you know, you know, some people have asked me, what head coaching candidate do you like the most? From the offensive minds, the guy I'm leaning towards right now is Kellen Moore. But I am not against trying someone like Todd Bowles, who I think is a good head coach, is a great scheming on, on the defensive side of the ball. You know, a lot of things I think that happened with the Jets wasn't necessarily his fault. It was just a bad organization that kind of dragged him down. I'm not against trying a defensive guy as, as the head coach again. Obviously, it becomes critical about who you're bringing in offensively. But I'm really lukewarm warm on a lot of candidates here. So are there any head coaching candidates that are popping off the page for you right now? So I'm
0: going to start out, Bill, by copping out of this question and say (laughs) that at the end of the day, what I really want is a change of GM whether that's Rick Smith or somebody else where we bring in a more analytics minded GM. That doesn't mean the numbers have to drive everything. I swear there's this cadre of fans that think that you could never take a look at what the numbers say or else you're betraying football itself. And that's not true. You don't have to go for every fourth down because the numbers say it's a good idea. You can if you want to, but it's more that when you take a look at the bigger picture, you realize that the, the Minnesota Vikings are cursed, but they've been running the team with good prog- process. Rick Spielman loads up a roster that then just gets randomly hurt every year or something like that. But I love the way that Spielman puts it together. And then when you hire a new GM, obviously he's going to pick the coach. And so I don't get to choose, but now I'll hit you with the hot part right? I'll hit you with the hot take. The more I keep watching Brian dabble, the more I keep watching urban Meyer, the more I keep watching all these different coaches all around the league. Uh, Joe judge, not a bad example of this though. I'm even Kyle Shanahan. Honestly, if I could just cut to the bone here, I don't think hiring the young hot offensive coordinator is the slam dunk that we've made it out to be. I think if you take a look at the greater NFL, the great head coaches are great leaders. And yes, that means you can find a Sean Payton, but it it also comes in the flavor of Jim Harbaugh, former special team coach. Sorry, John Harbaugh messed that up. Uh, It comes in Mike Tomlin, defensive oriented. It comes in Bill Belichick, defensive oriented. It comes in. I think Payton's the best offensive example with Andy Reid being another great leader presence. And that freaks me out, Bill, because when I think of like, Who would be the best leader candidate? It's either somebody who I don't know because they haven't given the interviews that have sold me yet, or it's Jim Harbaugh. And (laughs) that's, that's where it's weird to me, right? Because I, I agree with you. I mean, I get the Kellen Moore hype. I do. A lot of the things he schematically does on offense are really fun, but are we hiring an offensive coordinator or are we hiring a head coach? You know, and if we have seen anything with Matt Nagy, and, and honestly, Bill, four years removed, I can't believe I am saying this, but to all of you out there that said his ego's a problem, you ended up right. And that leader figure didn't end up delegating like I think we wanted him to, maybe delegated too much to the wrong people here and there. Like It's, it's hard to piece it out right? But you can just tell that the the locker room isn't lost and it won't be lost credit to Nagy there, but they end up just disjointed schematically and almost feel like they, they lose themselves mid season, at least for the last three years. And so where do we go from here? I don't know, but I am very curious to see what happens. And I could vibe with a lot of head coaching choices.
1: All right. Well, there you have it. Robert K. Schmitz on Twitter, bear with me podcast and and plenty of great content on YouTube as well. We will have to bear with them for four more games. So, but make sure you check out that post game pod. Maybe they'll win a game or two and there'll actually be some positives to talk about. Robert, thanks so much for jumping on. Really appreciate it. Seriously,
0: Bill. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah. To anybody out there, if you haven't, found my work which hey if you have great thank you for reading it you can find me at windy city gridiron you can find me at my youtube channel run pass opinion on twitter at robert k schmitz that's r-o-b-e-r-t-k-s-c-h-m-i-t-z and i'm the one who's generally doing post game so on monday night you will hear me yet again right here on this podcast channel bill
1: thank you so much again for having me on all right there he is robert schmitz windy city gridiron's own make sure you give him a follow i'm sure you all do at this point anyway robert's a great follow a lot of great content a lot of great video content tape tape ant analysis Uh, love love what robert does Uh, really really good stuff from robert there and look and that's look you know we've got four games to go in this season We'll get through these podcasts. We'll talk about what's relevant. Hopefully the Bears give us something interesting to talk about here moving forward. Justin Fields flashes. The Bears make a decision about Matt Nagy. Well, I think they've made a decision about Matt Nagy. The Bears announce a decision about Matt Nagy. There's there's some things we need to look forward to and discuss, but we are really in a holding pattern right now, and it, may, it makes things really difficult here. So, you know, we can sit here and, and break down the Minnesota Vikings game, and I think the Bears are actually going to have a good game against the Vikings. We will, we will see. I expect good things in this game. I actually think the Bears are going to win this game. This is the type of game that they somehow managed to find a way to win. The last four games of this season are, are not that difficult. Obviously, it doesn't really matter at this point. Draft position doesn't matter either. So if you're a, the Bears are out of it, I'm on them to lose every game. You, picking up three, four, five spots in the second round and later is not nearly as big of a deal as it is in the first round, which the Bears don't have to deal with next season because of the Justin Fields trade. So it's still worth hoping this team wins. I don't think if they go on a four game winning streak to end the season and finish 8-9 that that's going to be enough to save Matt Nagy's job. I don't think there's any concerns there at all if that's what you're worried about. So try and enjoy these last four games. Watch them for Justin Fields. And and I do think between the Giants and having the Vikings a couple times and a struggling Seattle team, I think the Bears can, can win at least one, probably two, maybe even three games here down the stretch. Because I do think if Fields, you know those that that high that big play potential that he has, I think that can spark and at least make these games enjoyable down the stretch. So I will say the Bears are going to win this one. I'm going to say 31 to 20. How about that? The Chicago Bears victorious on Monday Night Football. That's going to do it for Bears banter. Bear down, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Adios.